back home. Amen. And it's good to, good to feel better. I appreciate all the prayers. I was out for a day and a half, fairly sick, and, and uh, got some good rest and feeling better. But it's just good to be home, good to be feeling well. do appreciate the prayers, appreciate the, uh, the card for our anniversary. It, I did the math and uh, had to use a calculator. It has been 17 years. Amen. 17 good years. And uh, um, I'm one year away from being married more years than I haven't been. So if you do the math, I got married, got married fairly young. But uh, God is so good. Amen. I um, did want to remind everybody, I don't know if Brother Pete mentioned it, but we do have um, the couples weekend coming up next weekend, next Friday. Um, that starts uh, Friday at 630 I'm here at the church, and I would um, beseech you, if you are married, um, to bring your spouse here and be a part of that. Uh, Brother and Sister Simons are going to be here uh, Friday night. Um, I believe we're having a group session, and then after that, there's going to be just food and fellowship downstairs, Um, and then Saturday morning, we're going to get started. I don't have the times in front of me. I'll get those to you. Um, but there's going to be several sessions. Um, some of them will be split sessions and some of them will be group sessions. But your marriage and your family is worth investing in. Amen. So if you can at all possible, be here for that. You will be blessed. Um, we do look forward to that. Amen. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 25. You can remain seated. Exodus 25 and verse 8. We are going to um, continue... Um, going through the tabernacle, talking about God's blueprint uh, for relationship with us. And uh, several weeks ago, three weeks ago, two weeks ago, whenever I taught the last lesson on, on the altar, I was telling the story of Adonijah. And I don't know if you remember, but I was pronouncing the name wrong. I was saying Adonijah, and I have no idea why I thought That was how you pronounced it. So for those of you who were laughing and didn't tell me, um, I appreciate that. But I did get corrected. It is Adonijah. It's still hard for me to say Adonijah. But uh, I did want you guys to know what I was talking about. You guys were all just lost. You've never heard of that name before. But Exodus 25 and verse 8, um, it says, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them according to all that I shew thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall ye make it. So God has, through the Old Testament tabernacle plan, as you read through Genesis, or read through Exodus and Leviticus and even some in Deuteronomy, you read of this plan in all these details and sometimes... In our Bible reading, our eyes may get a little glossed over and we kind of read through it, but there is a purpose to this. And when you can read of the tabernacle and what went on and how it was built through this lens that God has um, was literally trying to, he was preparing a place where he could dwell. And this is all a pattern for relationship with us. Um, So the entire purpose of the tabernacle was so that a holy God um, would have a relationship with us who are sinful people. Um, The only function 
um, it would only function properly if the people um, who were put in charge of, of building that tabernacle and putting it together, and namely the Levites, would put the tent together right. Would, they would put it together correctly. Um, God gave them very specific instructions on how everything was to be made, how everything was to be laid out, um, what it was to be made of. And God has given us very clear instructions on how we're supposed to have a relationship with him. He's given us clear instruction of Bible salvation. And that's what we're going to get into a little bit tonight. And it did matter how they put it together. And we read scriptures like um, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It says, by faith we are saved through grace. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, right? That we're not saved by works, lest any man should boast. And that's very true. Like, we, we cannot save ourselves. The work of salvation is, it's God who did it, who, who does it, right? He, he, uh, he's the one that forgives sins. He's the one that fills you with the Holy Ghost. But we are obligated to obey Scripture, um, God gave Noah very specific instructions on how to build the ark, but Noah had to build the ark. Um, and God's given us very specific instructions on how we're to live for him, um, the steps we're supposed to take for salvation, and we have to obey them. Amen? Acts 2 and verse 39. Got that, Sister Kim? That was one of those little, oh, there it is. For the, it says, for, the, for this promise, speaking of the Holy Ghost, is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So this is right after Pentecost, after Peter just got up and said, you need to repent, you need to be baptized, and you need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. He said, and this promise is unto you and to your children. In verse 40, it says, and with many other words that he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. So we just got done hearing or reading Peter uh, preaching a sermon on how to be saved. And it was repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And now we have Peter saying that you need to save yourself. And we know that we can't save ourselves. So what is, what is Peter saying here? He's saying, you need to listen to what I just told you to do. That's how you save yourself. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So we were not saved by works, but we are saved by obeying the scripture. And if you consider obeying the scripture a work, then I guess you are saved. You can save yourself. And it's just simple. It's simply come. The point I'm trying to make is that we have to obey scripture. God's given us the blueprint we have to follow it. God gave Noah the instructions for the ark. He had to build it. God gave the Levites instruction for the tabernacle. They had to put it together. And God has also given us instruction for us today, and we need to follow it. Amen. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful for that instruction. So we look at this original blueprint of, of uh, the Old Testament tabernacle, and it foreshadows everything um, else that comes later in the word of God. This same pattern is all the way through Scripture. And we look at, uh, we look at the, the plan of salvation. Can you put the one, um, the, the layout of the whole tabernacle up there, that picture? 
this one here. So we understand that we have the gates. We enter the gates with thanksgiving, his courts. Once we get beyond the gates, we're in the courts. And that first thing was the altar. And we talked about that several weeks ago. Today we're going to talk about um, the brazen laver. And that was basically between the altar and the holy place. Between the altar and the, the tent of meetings, if you will. So we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. And we understand that we have on the altar, we have death. We have bloodshed. That was where the sacrifice was made. And we have the water. And then we understand that the glory of God, the presence of God dwelt in the tent. So we have the death, the burial, or the washing away. And then we have the Holy Ghost. So this is the pattern that we see all through scripture. So tonight we're going to talk about this labor of water. If we could turn to Exodus chapter 30, starting in verse 17. It says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Thou shalt also make a laver of brass, and his foot also of brass, to wash withal. And thou shalt put it between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar. And thou shalt put water therein. For Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet thereat. When they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall wash with water that they die not. Or when they come near to the altar to minister, to burn offering made by fire unto the Lord. So they shall wash their hands and their feet that they die not. And it shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his seed throughout their generations. So of all the functions, or of all the furniture in the tabernacle, we really have very little information about the laver of water, the brazen laver. Um, there was no specific measurements given. So all the pictures we see are, are just speculation um, that there was... You know, there was water in the top basin. There was also water in the basin below for their feet. So this is speculation of what this looked like. All the other pieces of furniture, of course, um, we had specific measurements for. Um, and most of the other pieces of furniture were in reference to God. But the labor was used in reference specifically to the cleansing of the priests, and we just read that in Exodus where Aaron and his sons, the priests, this was where they were going to cleanse. Uh, they, had just, they had just got done sacrificing animals on this altar. And before they went into um, the tent, um, they needed to cleanse. They needed to be, to be washed. And it's interesting, I, I, I was studying for this today, and this is something I had read a while back, and, and I just kind of completely forgot about it. But in Exodus 38 and verse 8, if we can pull that scripture up, it says, And he made the laver of brass, and the foot of it of brass, and of the looking glasses of the woman assembling, which assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. So they literally, part of what made up the laver of, of brass was the women's mirrors. Um, and these mirrors, more than likely, came from the plunder of Egypt. And they gave their mirrors for the making 
of the laver of water. And I, today I just asked, why, do, I don't, why did God record that in Scripture? And we can make our speculations. But it's interesting that, that they gave up um, looking at their outward appearance for the cleansing of the inward. And that's exactly what happens um, at the laver of water. They were, they were having, at the laver of water, there's a, a funeral and a burial of the old man or fleshly things so that the new cleansed man can live. We look into a mirror to see the outward appearance. And they gave up that so that the laver of water could be made so that we could have inward cleansing. So we could also use it to maybe say, if we ever take pledges at at church, that women should give up some of their things for the house of God. Amen? Nobody, Nobody is smiling right now. We won't do that. But it's just interesting that, that uh, they gave up their mirrors. They gave up vanity for inward cleansing. So the sole purpose of the labor was washing. Um, and, and, and where the... the we, so we ask ourselves, they had this water in this labor. And where did the water come from? You know, they were in the middle of a, a wilderness, and we understand that God was the one that provided the water to them through the rock, the smitten rock, this miraculous smitten rock that followed them. And, I, and this is the water that they drink of, and this is the water that they use to fill this laver. In Exodus 17 and 6, it says, Behold, I will stand before thee, there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. We read in 1 Corinthians 10 and 4, it says, And did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So God supernaturally provided them water to drink and provided them water for this labor. So in the tabernacle, God met the priest in the water. And that came through a miraculous smitten rock. And the purpose of it was was for the cleansing and the washing of the priest. And it's interesting. So we read a few scriptures in in the New Testament now. Uh, John 19 and 34 says, But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. And we have a few other scriptures that talk about blood and water. And we understand that Jesus is the one in the new covenant who washes and who makes clean. But when he was on that cross and they pierced him in the side, out came blood and water. We also read in 1 John 5 and 6, it says, 
It says, this is he that came by. Or, and I have this actually noted in my Bible. It says, this is he that came by, or this is he who became known by, or was revealed by water and blood. Even Jesus Christ. So John was, was, was talking that, that he was revealed or made known by water and blood. It says, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is that the spirit that beareth witness because the spirit is truth. And I, this verse has always been, one, if I'm honest, it's always been one of those verses that I'm, I, I feel like I understand and then I, until I don't. And I have a bunch of notes in my Bible because it's just, it's, in, it's an interesting verse, but I got to looking at this and we understand that, that it says that Jesus was revealed or he was made known by water and blood. So we're going to do a little cross-reference. If we could turn to uh, John chapter 1, John chapter 1 and verse 32. This is the account of John the Baptist uh, baptizing Jesus. It says, uh, and John bare record saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him, and I knew him not. But he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. So this was in the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. And this is when, and John, it said that John bear record that this is the Son of God. And this is, from what I can find, this is the first time in the New Testament where somebody openly said that this is the Son of God. So Jesus was revealed by water baptism in the very beginning. So then we go to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew 27 and verse 50. So now we're, we're at Calvary. Matthew 27 and verse 50. It says, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, he yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this is the Son of God. So Jesus was made known in the beginning at his baptism. And he was also made known at the end by his blood or at his death. So he was revealed by water and by blood. And, and it is said that John, in 1 John, was trying to, he was combating um, a form of doctrine that said that Jesus was completely spiritual and he, there was no flesh and that he was just a spirit being, but he was not flesh. 
And John's making the clear point that he was revealed in the flesh and in the spirit. Because in the beginning, John's seen the spirit descending. And he said, surely this is the son of God. And at the end, when we, there was a human being, the man Christ Jesus on the cross, in flesh, bleeding, the centurion said, surely this is the son of God. So Jesus was revealed by blood and water. And so we look at this laver of water, and this is so interesting to me, and I, and I honestly, I, I don't want to make a, a, a complete doctrine out of this, but at the laver of water, this is where the blood and the water came together. This is where the spiritual water that God provided through the rock met with the sacrificial lamb on the altar. So we have spirit and flesh. We have divinity and we have a, a, a sacrifice on the altar. And that spirit and blood met in the laver of water as they cleansed. So today, if you want Christ to be, to, to come um, into your life and to be revealed to you, you've got to experience what the laver of water is about. If you want to take on Jesus Christ, the Bible says that you, you take on the name in water baptism. Amen. So Jesus Christ is revealed in the labor of water through the blood and the water. Amen. And we understand Titus 3 and 5 says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saves us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. We have got to have that that, that washing over our life. We've got to have that laver of water applied to our lives. So just like the brazen altar, which represented repentance, the brazen laver represents baptism in Jesus' name. No ministry uh, could be done in the tabernacle until the priest had washed. Amen. Uh, so is baptism important in our relationship with Christ? Absolutely. It is of utmost importance because we see the pattern in their tabernacle. That's why in, if you look in the, in the New Testament, there is no such thing as a Christian in the New Testament who had not been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Every single group that believed on him were baptized. And every single priest that went any further into, the, into the, the tabernacle had to wash in the laver of water. They had to wash the blood off their hands. So we're going to look at water baptism tonight and the importance of it. We're gonna answer some questions like who should be baptized? Why should I be baptized? When should I be baptized? 
and how should I be baptized and what happens at baptism. So tonight, if you came with questions about baptism, hopefully I can help you understand um, a little better tonight. So we're going to start with who should be baptized. Um, The simple answer is those who have believed the gospel and have repented of their sins. Acts 2.38 said, this is Peter preaching. He said, then Peter said unto them, he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And they, then they that, in verse 41 says, then they that gladly received his word were baptized. Those who took heed to Peter's sermon were baptized, and the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So this, being, bapti- being baptized is for those who have, who have accepted the gospel message and have repented of their sins. In Acts 8, we read of, of Philip preaching to the Samaritans. And in 8.12, he says, And when they believed, Philip, who was preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So Philip preached to the Samaritans that Jesus, this Jesus of Nazareth, he was the son of God. And they believed And oftentimes the world likes to preach a gospel that all you have to do is believe. But everywhere in the book of Acts and and through the New Testament, right after somebody would confess or believe, they were baptized. That's exactly what happened in Samaria. So who should be baptized? Those who have been baptized previously in a different way than the baptism specified by the apostles of the New Testament church. In current Christianity, there seems to be a lot of different modes and methods and formulas used for water baptism. Um, As a young baby, um, I was told that I was baptized. Uh, And I I really believe that all that happened that day is my family got together and and got me wet because nowhere in Scripture... Was there ever a baby that was baptized? So we have to look to Scripture for the mode, the method, and the formula for water baptism because this is important. This is an important step. It's an important part of the pattern that God has set up for us. So we read of some people in in Scripture that were already baptized. We read it in Acts 19 in verse 3. It says, and he said unto them, unto what, this is, you know what, I'm going to, I can't, I got to turn there. Acts 19. So this was uh, the apostle Paul talking to the disciples of John. Um, in verse 2, it says, and he said unto them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto them, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And, and then Paul asked them, and he said unto them, unto what then were you baptized? And they said unto John's baptism, which we understand was just a baptism unto repentance. Um, That was a forerunner to Jesus Christ. But now that Jesus had had come and and ascended into heaven, there was a different way to do this. And Paul said in verse 4, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him, which should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. 
And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them and they spake with tongues and prophesied. So there was a group of people that had previously been baptized a different way. But Paul told them, you need to be baptized by immersion in the name of Jesus Christ. So if you've been baptized a different way, maybe as a child, or maybe they didn't, it wasn't in the name of Jesus, um, we have to do this the Bible way. Amen? Another question, why should I be baptized? What actually happens at baptism? Um, so why should I be baptized? First, first reason would be is that Jesus was baptized. And we understand that he did everything uh, for our example. In Matthew 3 and 15, it says, And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh to us to fulfill all righteousness. Um, so why should we baptize? Because salvation depends on it. Your salvation depends on it. Mark 16 and 16, he says that he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Why should we baptize? The original church, we're all baptized. And on the front of the church, we have the sanctuary, and right below it says an apostolic church. And all that really means is that we we don't want to be an offshoot of anything else besides the, very, the church in the very beginning. We want to continue in the apostles' doctrine. So if the apostles didn't do it, didn't teach it, I'm not too interested in it. If the apostles did it and taught it, that's what I want to do. So that's where we get our name apostolic. So we have to look to see what the original church did through the teaching of the apostles. And these were the guys who walked with Jesus. These were the guys that were taught by Jesus. Jesus gave them instructions for this New Testament church. So in, uh, in Acts 10.48, this is uh, Peter at Cornelius' house. And this is interesting because this was Peter going into a, a Gentile home and he began to preach to them. And he says, and, and they received the Holy Ghost. Peter said, they, these Gentiles have received the Holy Ghost just like we did at Pentecost. And how did he know that? Because he heard them speak with tongues. That's what the Word of God says. So there's an evidence to receiving the Holy Ghost, and it's speaking in tongues. And right after that happened, Peter says, and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And I, I began to think about this, and of course this might be Peter's personality coming in, but do you think that Peter would have commanded them to do that if it wasn't necessary? It seems pretty bold that you would command somebody to do something that's not scriptural. But I believe that Peter knew. This is what he preached, this was the same message he preached to the Jews on Pentecost, and this was the same message he was going to preach to this Gentile home. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And they did, all of his house, all of Cornelius' house. So we need to be baptized because Jesus did it for an example. Our salvation depends on it, and it's exactly what the original church did in the New Testament, in the Bible. 
So when should I be baptized? The simple answer to that is right now. I don't want to be too forceful tonight, but if you have not been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, today is the day that you should do it. We read it through these different accounts in, in the book of Acts. In Acts 2.41, it says, And they that gladly received the word were baptized. They believed the message, and immediately following, they were baptized. It says, that same day. That same day. They didn't wait another day. They didn't plan for their family to be there. They did it that same day. And it says that they were added unto them thousands, 3,000 souls. We read another account in Acts 16. This is when Paul and Silas were in prison. And, uh, and they began to, to pray and worship, and there was a great earthquake. And the, and the doors were opened. And this prisoner came running to them, and, and he, this prisoner was afraid for his life uh, because the, the, the prisoners had gotten out. And Paul and Silas just began to preach to him. They began to, they began to tell him this gospel message. They began to talk about this Jesus. And it says in, in verse 33, it says, And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized he and all his straightway. That prison guard and his family didn't wait till morning. They didn't wait till the next church service. It says that same night they were baptized because they believed the message. In Acts 22 and 16, it says, And now why tarriest thou? My dad always says that. Why tarriest thou? That's when he's getting impatient. It says, arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So if you have not been baptized tonight, I have to ask you the same question that was asked in Scripture. Why are you waiting? Arise, be baptized, and wash away your sins in the name of Jesus Christ. Next question is, how should we be baptized? So we're going to look at the mode, being immersed in water. The Greek word for baptizo means to emerge or to submerge. And it also has a significance of washing or cleansing. So literally the word baptism means to be fully submerged. And the Bible you know, has a, it lays the foundations for this. We read in Matthew 3.16, when Jesus was baptized, it says, and Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. So we understand that Jesus, when he was baptized, he went all the way into the water and came all the way out. We read in Acts, uh, in Acts 8 and verse 38, when Philip was uh, preaching to the Ethiopian eunuch, it says, and, and he says, and he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. So we understand that baptism is by immersion. Nowhere in scripture was anybody sprinkled when they were baptized. It was done by full immersion. And I want to do it exactly like the Bible says. I'm not going to come up with my own way of doing it. 
It may be more convenient to sprinkle water, but that's not what the Bible says to do. So how should, we be, how should I be baptized? In the name of the Lord Jesus. So we have mode, which is by immersion, and we have a formula, and it's in the name of Jesus Christ. Every, every baptism that took place in the book of Acts was performed in Jesus' name, in the name of Jesus. On the day of Pentecost in Acts 2.38, it was in the name of Jesus. And the Samaritans in Acts 8, it was in the name of Jesus. Uh, Cornelius' household, it was in the name of Jesus. The disciples of John in Acts 19, in the name of Jesus. And Paul, the apostle Paul, was baptized in the name of Jesus. Because Jesus is the only name that has the power to save. It's the only name. Amen? I'm thankful to have the name of Jesus applied to my life. I'm thankful to know the power that is in the name of Jesus. So we read in in Matthew 28... In verse 18, it says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And, and Jesus was instructing them in verse 9. He says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. The name there, the, the, the word name there is Singular. So what is the name? It's Jesus Christ. So sometimes there, there are many that will baptize in the formulas. They'll, when, you, when they baptize you, they'll say, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. But we read what was, this was the instruction that Jesus was given the disciples before he ascended into heaven. This was the Great Commission. He says, when I ascend to heaven, I want you guys to go to Jerusalem and wait. And, and they, they waited till Pentecost. He says, I want you to baptize in the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. And so what did they do? What was the fulfillment of this? They baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So they understood that the name of the Father was Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I come in my Father's name. We understand that, that Jesus, the Son's name is Jesus. And we read in John 14 when Jesus was talking about the promise of the Father. He was talking about the Comforter that was going to come. He was talking about the Holy Ghost. And Jesus says, I'm going to come to you. So the name is Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Acts 4.12, it says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Colossians 3.17 says, and whatsoever you do in word or deed, that includes baptism. It says, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. So the power is in the name. I was thinking today that we, uh, what I do for a living, we have contracts that we write up and on the bottom left, it says sales consultant, and it has a line. And on the right, it has customer, and it has a line. And when we sign that contract, I don't write on there sales consultant, because that is just a title. 
and the customer doesn't write on there, customer. If we did that, that contract would not be valid. But if I write my name on there, and the customer writes their name on there, that contract becomes valid. So when we're baptized in the name of the Father, which is just a title, a Son, which is just a title, and the Holy Ghost, there's no validity to it, but the power is in the name. Amen? So when you're baptized, it has to be done in the name of Jesus Christ. So next question, what happens at baptism? What happens at baptism? Your sins are washed away, and they're remitted, and God's accomplishing his full work of forgiveness in your life. Luke 24 and 47, Jesus said, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached, how? In his name, among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, talking about Pentecost, in Jesus' name, remission of sins or forgiveness of sins. And forgiveness of sins was going to come through Water baptism. Acts 2.38, and I already read this scripture. Peter said, repent and be baptized. Everybody. He didn't leave anybody out. He didn't say, you guys be baptized today and we'll get you guys next Sunday. He said, everyone. And and, and, And why? He said, in the name of Jesus Christ, why? For the remission of sins or for the forgiveness of sins, for the washing away of your sins. Acts 22 and 16, and now why tarriest thou arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So we ask ourselves, what happens at baptism? Our sins are washed away. Thank God. <laughs> I remember when I was baptized, for the, and when I was 12 years old, And I just remember coming out of the water and thinking to myself, everything is gone. Everything I did before, the old man, the old shame is gone. It's washed away. What an awesome thing. And that's through the the power of Jesus Christ. So another thing that happens at baptism, our conscience is washed and and cleansed. So 1 Peter uh, 3 and 21 says the like figure says, whereunto even baptism, if, you, if anybody's questioning whether baptism is essential for salvation, listen to what Peter says here. He says, the like figure, whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Okay, he's not talking about the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we have a clear conscience that everything we had done before, we sing that song in church, our past erased. Amen. We get excited about that song because we now have a clear conscience before God. Amen. So what? Uh, my body is buried in a grave of water when we're baptized, portraying the death of my old life. So when we have a baptism, it is literally a funeral of the old man. It's a burial. When someone dies, you bury them. And that's exactly what we do in baptism. Romans 6 and 3 says, Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, 
that we were baptized into his death. So what happens in baptism? You're born again of the water, portraying the birth of your new life. And we read in John chapter 3, where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and, and Nicodemus is all confused, and in, in, in verse 3 says, Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time in his mother's womb? And Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So Jesus was saying, There has to be a death of the old man, and you need to bury him in water, and then you receive the Holy Ghost, death, burial, and resurrection. What else happens when we're baptized? It says, I am uh, I'm brought into God's covenant of salvation, portraying the, the cutting off of our fleshly desires. So we read in Colossians chapter 2 and 11. Colossians 2 and 11. It says, In whom also ye are circumcised. So this is the Apostle Paul um, t- talking about he was referring back to Old Testament circumcision and comparing it to New Testament salvation. He says, In whom ye are also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So he's talking about how do we get rid of the sin in our life? How do we cut this flesh off? How do we get rid of this old man? And he said it's by the circumcision of Christ. And then at the very end of that verse, there's a colon. And the next verse verse says, buried with him in baptism. Wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. So Old Testament circumcision is a type of New Testament baptism. So if we want our sins washed away, this old man, this flesh put away, cut away. It's through the circumcision of Christ. And Paul said that is, how you do that is through being buried with him in baptism. And we, we read in the Old Testament in Genesis 17, Genesis 17 and 14, it says, and, and the uncircumcised man-child whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. So in the Old Testament, this was, there was no questions. Like, you had to be circumcised. It was an absolute. And if we liken that to New Testament baptism, it's not something that we um, do because we, we, we just nonchalantly, but it's something we do because God com- commands us to. It is an essential part of our salvation. And we read this all through Scripture. Another thing that happens when we're baptized is I take on the name of Jesus when we're baptized, which is the only saving name. Galatians 3 and 27 says, For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, you put on Christ. You've taken on that name in a covenant relationship with him. Romans 6 and 4 says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, 
that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Another thing that happens when we're baptized is we are showing publicly of a new beginning in our life and we're committing ourselves to Christ and to his church. And Acts 2 and 41 says, Then they that gladly received the word, they were baptized. And the same day they were added unto them, 3,000 souls. And it says, And they continued steadfastly. So when you've repented and you've been baptized in Jesus' name, you have made a commitment to continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And you're committing yourself to Christ. So when we're baptized, God meets us in the water and we take on that name. And in this church, you've been around a while, you know that we believe this. And right behind this curtain that's up right now, we have a baptismal tank that is full of water always. And it's warm. It's ready. Because we believe that nobody should have to wait till tomorrow. Because in Scripture, nobody waited till tomorrow. Once they seen the need, once they had repented, once they had believed the gospel. I, I see online that churches will have um, baptismal Sundays. And uh, I don't want to, I'm not trying to talk disparagingly, but they, they plan a, a baptismal Sunday for, you know, once a quarter. And they have a whole lineup of people ready to be baptized. And what that shows me is that they don't believe it's essential. They don't believe that it's Bible doctrine. Why tarriest thou? That same day, Peter commanded them. I'm not Peter today. But if you have not been baptized in the name of Jesus, I'm, I'm asking you tonight, the water's ready and God has been in hot pursuit of you. And you're not here tonight by accident. And I, I'm not trying to be forceful, but if I read correctly in the book of Acts, um, they, were very, they boldly spoke the word when it came to Bible salvation, repentance, and baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. And you can have all your sins washed away in the watery grave. And we can have a funeral for the old person. And then after, because in order to be born again, Jesus said, if you're not born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. That's, that's pretty sobering to me. Like, okay, Jesus, you know, Nicodemus came to him. He's like, Rabbi, we, we know that you're, you know, you're a teacher come from God and we don't really understand what's going on. And Jesus just like interrupted him. He didn't even really give heed to what Nicodemus was saying. He's like, you must be born again. He just told him. And so I want to know what it means to be born again. And Nicodemus is like, can I enter the second time into my mother's womb? And Jesus is like, no, that's not what I'm talking. But Jesus was talking about there's got to be a death of the old man so the new man can live. And I believe there's some people in this place tonight that you have been seeking God. And God has heard your prayers. He's seen your tears. And he's been drawing you to him. 
and you've, you have a repentive heart. You, 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 you're here tonight seeking God. And if you, you think your next step, according to scripture, is, is baptism in the name of Jesus Christ, we can do that tonight. Amen? Let's all stand. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the, the cleansing blood of Christ that I can, that we can have a new start and a new beginning. Amen? And I wonder, as the musicians come, we're going to have just a little time of prayer tonight and uh, if we could just receive the word of God and if you haven't been baptized here tonight, I, you can just come and talk to me. I'd be glad to answer any more questions you have. But the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. And if you haven't done it tonight, I just, I've simply just quoted scripture after scripture tonight. This isn't a dog.